of their lives. But tonight is also the night of the creeps. From a world unknown comes a nightmare unimagined. First, they are under you, around you, on you, and then inside you. They get into your mouth and you walk around while they incubate you're dead. They are a new terror. They are a different kind of Zombies, exploding heads, creepy crawlies. We could have a little problem. The creeps are taking over. Oh, I got good news and bad news, girls. What? The good news is your dates are here. What's the bad news? They're dead. You have never had a night like this. Ah! Night of the Creeps. If you scream, you're dead. Welcome to Midnight Flicks, a podcast dedicated to discussing movies relegated to a late night purgatory. And of course, once again, I am one of your hosts still to this day, to this moment. Adam Walker joining me as always in his newly refurbished podcast studio, so he should sound amazing, is Pat Mitchell. Hopefully. God (laughs) damn, that would be great if I sound amazing on, finally, on episode whatever the fuck this is. You always sound amazing in my ears, but... Who knows? I think we both sound great. Wait, is there room for improvement? Sure, but we like to leave that wiggle room so we don't get too cocky. Well, also, you know, we are punks, so we always got to keep it a little, a little, yeah, a little we got a little edge, a little grit. <laughs> yeah. This is this is DIY, man. So you know, it's got to have that. It's got to have the warts and all do it. Yeah, this, have- is the, this is the best I can do it myself. I can't do it any better myself. Nope. Until, you know, one of these days someone catches on and they, they start throwing the big bucks at us. We get still, like still waiting. We get That's swooped okay. up. We get swooped up by Earwolf. We become part of the Earwolf family. We're we we're uh rubbing elbows with uh uh Paul Shear and Amy Nichols and Ooh. I'd love to rub more than elbows with Paul Shear. Maybe fuck that gap tooth. I was going to say, you want to rub teeth with him? (laughs) He's a funny guy. I like that guy a lot. He's a super funny guy. I love him. Uh, I have noticed 
he has he has not fixed his gap, which is great. But I noticed though that I think that it has shrunk over the years. So I don't know. <laughs> Paul, give us a call. Let us know if you shrunk it to feel more to feel better about yourself, but didn't get rid of it because it's basically a trademark of his now. Yeah, so I don't know. It's a. It's definitely a. It adds to his character. It gives character to his face for sure. Absolutely. Well, um, so this is the penultimate episode of this season, and I'm going to steal a line from you, boy. Howdy, is, <laughs> is it a jammer? Um, I intentionally wanted to go out. I always want to go out on a bang. So I uh, last season, it was a little bit of a gamble because I was, you know, the chosen one for the final episode. And I rolled the dice on an Abel Ferreira flick, knowing that you not being very deep into his catalog, uh, dislike what you've seen. You were, you know, you were. Um, incredulous, but then you came out of it enjoying it. It was Miss 45. But, you know, because as we've stated on episodes up to this point uh, here and there that, you know, we've we've been a little at odds more so than I think in the past. So I wanted to guarantee that we would go out just slobbering each other's cocks about the, uh, uh, one particular movie. So tonight we're talking about uh, Fred Decker's genre mashup masterpiece, Night of the Creeps, right? Yes, I, well, I hope. That's what I watched for the purposes of tonight. What What if I flipped it on you and said, well, actually, here's the, here's the, the plot twist. We're actually going to watch, what is that, Abel, for a movie you don't, you don't like, the, the Addiction? <laughs> yeah, the addiction. Well, yeah, I'm fairly flexible. I'm ready to talk movies uh, at the drop of a hat. It might be a real shitty discussion because I'll be like, I think this is like in the movie, but I don't know because I haven't seen it in a long time. <laughs> it would, would not be a great discussion, but I could pivot. Fair enough. Okay, so we're going to talk about, um, let's see, what are we going to talk about? Hobbs and Shaw. I've never even seen that movie. Because you, you just mentioned Fast and the Furious. So, uh, you, uh, you are naming movies that I don't know if you're naming movies that you purposely think I would have seen. But I haven't seen Hobbs and Shaw either. You haven't seen Hobbs and Shaw? I actually heard that it is really pretty good. I've been meaning to watch it. I heard I mean, it's I'll like watch anything super, with The Rock. Yeah, I heard it's super nutty. Just uh, off the wall. I'll put so it on anyways. the queue. Yeah, maybe we'll watch it next time. Next next time we're uh, doing this next year. Um, so yeah, this movie is definitely one of my favorite movies of all time. Like without question, it is it is in my top ten. Uh, don't even need to bat an eye at that one. But Pat, what I want to know is. What are your thoughts on the top about this movie as well? Yeah, um, still, I, I still love it. Uh, it's uh, it was in pretty constant rotation there from when I first saw it as a a wee teen, probably when I first saw this movie. Yeah, 
absolutely transformative. I love it. It's just it's a real fun like party horror movie, like Return of the Living Dead, which we've now mentioned in the last three episodes. So glad we could get that out of the way. <laughs> which coincidentally today is Return of the Living Dead Day, July third. Oh, is it? <laughs> yeah, cool. here in in about an hour of your time, it'll be the the time that the events uh, unfold. Wow. The okay. Nice. Okay. Well, so the, oh, wow. Somewhere between the middle, Eastern time. middle of this podcast will be, will be D-Day. But um, yeah, I, I hadn't seen it in a, uh, I hadn't seen Night of the Creeps in a, quite a while. It, it's just probably something that was in constant rotation and then got shelved and there was no reason just to put it on until today. I love it. It's just great. Um, I just I just think Tom Atkins uh, really, really pulls the movie through. I I controversially think if Tom Atkins isn't in this, I this is kind of maybe kind of a slog. <laughs> like he's that important to this movie. If Tom Atkins is replaced by especially someone in a, in a shittier capacity, uh this this might be hard to it, it might just be forgettable. I maybe not a, a total slog, but that's how important he is to this movie. Um, he's the sing he's the single most important element of the entire movie. He's holding it all together. I mean, it, it's it's just his best performance in any movie ever, easily. Yeah, no, I fully agree with you that, and and I actually do really like the main cast in this movie, but Tom Atkins for sure is the, uh, the gritty, uh, glue that keeps this movie together. And, um, it's interesting because Fred Decker, I feel like really was on to something with these, you know, first few movies that he did in the eighties. And for some reason, man, I don't know what the circumstances are, but he just kind of petered out. Uh, and, the, you know, it's like he has some writing credits for some good movies. He has some directing credits for a couple of good movies. He is, incidentally, though, the um, the unfortunate force behind the worst RoboCop movie, hands down. Like, yeah. just um, a towering pile of shit. Yeah, RoboCop 3, which I I haven't seen. uh, That's not something that, you know, I would put on. (laughs) Yeah. For whatever reason. I haven't seen it in a long time. But yeah, I mean, you got the first two and then way down there, you got the third (laughs) one. But I mean, it is he's ripping. He rips uh, uh, Goodnight of the Creeps, Monster Squad, which is equally as good. I mean, it's more of a, it's a great children's movie. It's a good, uh, uh, um, like gateway horror drug for kids. Mm -hmm. Like it's just a really classic children's horror movie. Um, I love it. It's different from night of the creeps. So two bangers. And then, yeah, the third movie he directed was RoboCop three. So maybe that's why it petered off. He also wrote house. Which yeah, I he love wrote the, both, both houses, right? Which I love both of them. The first one is legitimately a really good horror movie, in my opinion. The second one, it doesn't 
age as well, but it has nostalgic value for me. Um, I watched it recently after I hadn't watched it in a while. Like, yeah, it doesn't hold up like it used to, but when I was younger, I love that movie so much. So, yeah, he's he had his hand in some really cool things, and I don't know. You know, I, apparently he had something to do with the uh, Predator reboot recently, which I haven't seen. Oh, I love. I yeah. It's <laughs> confusingly enough. It's called the Predator. I don't know why yeah. franchises do that. I thought the Predator was really good. Yeah, I, I mean, it's it's you know, it's it's another rehashing of that fucking just dragon predator out from the the chamber <laughs> one more movie but i think i thought it was fun i thought i saw it in theaters um i didn't know he had something to do with that one but that's that's great he decided to smoke another spliff with the the predator <laughs> <laughs> we're still awaiting our predator 2 remake <laughs> uh yeah and uh Basically, um, uh, like I said, this is, uh, this is his, this is in my opinion, like I said, his, this is his apex. So there you go. Fred Decker, if you're listening out there, you know, we, we love you, man. So hopefully you, you return to the fold and, and deliver some more bangers for us because we eagerly await them. But anyways, for those of you who have not watched this movie or would like a recap, the synopsis essentially is um, an alien experiment gets inadvertently uh, dropped into Earth and it involves carnivorous slugs that uh, feed on human brains. Uh, so it gets a little convoluted, incidentally. This is a genre mashup movie if there ever, ever is one. The uh, slugs enter the brains of the humans, thus turning them into zombies. Um, and these uh, zombies wreak havoc on a college campus in the 80s. And then you you have uh, your heroes uh, end up, you know, taking the helm to dispatch the zombies and the, and the carnivorous alien slugs to save the day. So there you go. Which spawned... Slither, which I think is great. Uh, have you seen Slither? I haven't because I just assumed it was a, a real hack uh, knockoff of Night of the Creeps. It's a lot different. Um, it's it, The effects in it are absolutely phenomenal. They do a bunch of really gross-out uh, creature effects, like people with real like oozing appendages and shit just like looking absolutely gross it's it's really good actually okay well then fair enough i will uh suspend any of my incredulousness about that and i will go ahead and check it out on your behalf well it's better than you know if we had a night of the creeps 2020 remake or some shit it's 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 like they just borrow that that story um heavily and just repurpose it into something else so uh i thought they did a really good job yeah there and i will say that um there was somewhat of a subgenre of horror movies relating to carnivorous slugs in the 80s um there was the movie slugs i have a <laughs> slugs poster in my garage yeah yeah <laughs> But I feel like this one, this is the uh, 
this is the ultimate evil carnivorous slug movie, in my opinion. So, yeah, this is the cre- cream of the crop. Um, incidentally, though, as much as we love this movie, others apparently were not so hot on it at the time, which really, really befuddles me. Uh, the budget for this movie was five million, and it apparently only grossed uh, close to six hundred thousand. So, <laughs> my God, it was a it was a uh, it, it was a bomberoni if there ever was one. I don't really understand why. Um, it really eludes me um, as to why this didn't catch on. Now, consequently, it has went on to become a cult movie. But the fact that it it really did that bad. I don't understand. And I mean, I'm sure that that as far as Fred Decker not doing a lot, it tracks with, you know, his financial failures as a director. I think Monster Squad did pretty good as far as I know. I remember it being kind of a hit. Yes. Yeah. I I believe Monster Squad just smashed. Yeah. The thing with Fred Decker movies, too, you know, and of course, we'll get into this is. They're very quotable movies. So they're the kinds of movies that when you were a kid, if you watched them, you were always quoting them, especially Monster Squad, of course. You know, the uh, Wolfman's uh, Got Nards. Yeah, the legendary Wolfman's Got Nards uh, line. You know, people, that's a cross generational quote. <laughs> you know, yeah, it's really the, trans- the Atkins, it's transcendent. The Atkins you know. quotes in this are. I think Wolfman's Got Nards is, is like probably the most uh, recognizable quote, but God damn it. If I wish everyone just started saying thrill me all the time, that would be great. It, it, Adkins pulling out Miller time just <laughs> really sends me <laughs> just a bust like my stitches. This is fuck, it's so good. Adkins sells this this performance so well. Yeah, and of course, obviously, you, you there uh, listening can't can't see, but we do have uh, Pappy Atkins watching over us right now to uh, guide this episode. <laughs> I have my my signed Tom Atkins picture. He signed it. Thrill me, Pat and Aaron, and uh, it's it's him on the beach sipping out of that coconut because that is maybe spiritually the closest that uh, <laughs> an actor doing a role has ever been to to my heart is just As a, yeah sipping out of a coconut just chilling on a beach in a fucking like all white tuxedo <laughs> yeah i really like i really think that is your avatar pat this is this is your spirit animal there if there is. ever was one <laughs> and he was the sweet just the sweetest guy we've ever met just this sweet old man he was just so so sweet <laughs> that makes me happy when your heroes are assholes it's a bummer but when mm-hmm. he could be such a curmudgeon too like he's just plod- plodding through these uh, horror conventions but he couldn't have been any nicer this which is even he i hold him in even more great esteem yeah that's very endearing that he is actually a, a consummate gentleman which we we would only hope so yeah absolutely um critical reception so as i said you know i feel like people were kind of at the time lukewarm on this um but the 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 good accolades came from reputable sources such as fangoria um 
Fangoria said it was one of the year's most surprisingly entertaining fright features, one that homaged practically every subgenre imaginable, yet kept a, a sure hand on its tone and never descended into spoofery, which perfectly encapsulates how I feel about that this movie. The other negative reviews, you know, they it's just another indication of just folks not really getting it. I don't know if these reviews that I read were from a you know a, a later time. But, you know, they're just like bagging on the special effects and saying how it's derivative and blah, blah, blah. And it's like, okay, well, here's the thing, fucking smarty pants. This movie is it's exactly that it is supposed to be derivative. It's a genre mashup. That wasn't Fred Decker's full intent was to make the most B movie possible, you know, with through his lens. And he did a good job. Him and the writer did a great job, I feel like, because, yeah, it's derivative of a bunch of different things, but they put them all together really well, more more, more effectively than a lot of movies, especially of the time. And the special effects, yeah, they are clearly very fake and campy. But once again, I feel like that's part and parcel to what the, the purpose of the movie was. The movie is supposed to be a campy send up of you know what they're paying homage to which are campy movies so trying to like uh afford or you know trying to give like any sort of um high-mindedness to this movie is again you're 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 way off you're not you're not even in the same room to have this discussion we're not speaking the same language here so any of you critics that diss this movie you know, tug on my nuts from the back. That's what I got to say. <laughs> from the back. Oof, from the back. Just, <laughs> just grip them from the back. They and... call that the sling blade. <laughs> so you might as well say tug on my taters. Tug on my taters. Some people call it a Kaiser blade. I call it the sling blade. Boy, I love the movie Sling Blade so much. <laughs> I do, too. I have a theory as to why this movie did not do very well, and I'm going to save it for my good. Um, okay. Because I have a, th- I, I've been, I have a longstanding theory, uh, not about why this movie didn't do well, but unrelated to this movie uh, that I think ties in nicely. So and it's in my good. So I'll bring that up uh, when it's time. Fantastic. I actually can't wait to hear it. And that's a perfect segue into discussing the meat of the movie, unless you have anything else you want to add uh, up up front there, Pat, before not, we... Uh, not that I can think of other than very excited to talk about this. And it was a pleasure watching it again. I just... It was yeah. really fun. Really, really fun. Yeah. And unlike some movies that we've watched, you know, that maybe we had a, a certain appreciation for at one point and then we returned to it with whatever fresh eyes and it didn't quite hold up like we had hoped it would. This, this movie, this is an evergreen movie and I am so glad because the day that this movie becomes not fun for me is the day that just take me out back like old yeller. Time to time to put a shotgun to Adam's head <laughs> behind a dumpster. <laughs> Splatter his brains. He doesn't think Rele- Night of the Creeps is good anymore. <laughs> Release the slugs from my brains. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And may they infest the world. 
Exactly. My revenge. Finally. Okay. So that being said, let's enter the round table here. Let's enter the octagon with the good, the bad, and the questionable. All right. And of course, as always, at the top, the good. So I will just open this up again. I've already, you know, spoken a bit about this. But to me, this is one of the most effective genre mashup movies of its time, if not within the horror genre. You got you got the sci-fi, you got the zombies, you got the slasher, you got the cops, uh, you got the comedy. It's just it's all rolled up in a nice, tight burrito, don't you think so, Pat? Yeah, I think it. Um, I think it's really tough to toe that line, and if you don't, if you have too much of one thing and not the other, uh, it can become a little convoluted. But it does great, and you know, it opens up in in black and white, and it's like a retro serial killer slasher kind of, you know. Teens hanging out at make out point and getting cut down. Um, and but that is the that is the thread of the movie. It's the PTSD that that uh, Tom Atkins is is reliving. And it, it ties together the thread in in the 80s um, with all the slugs and shit. Um, and it, it, it's all great. There's lots, there's just lots to consume. There's fun, pudgy little fucking like Pillsbury Doughboy aliens, like running around a ship at the beginning that are just like kind of cute and terrifying. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they really Clearly, are. They're just little people in latex costumes, um, <laughs> shooting down some experimental waste that infests the world. And in the form of these space slugs, I mean, there's nothing there's, I mean, what's the, what's the not like about it? It's just, it's just super fun, but, uh, but moreover, really well done. And it's a, it's a delicate balancing act that I think is, uh, perfectly executed i agree yeah and it it looks good as a movie um it was it shot really well as far as you know b movie or you know of movies of that ilk from this time you know that to me is another hallmark to this is they were able to effectively utilize whatever like you know because i mean five million is a lot of money but still you know when it comes to movies is is still relatively on the low end so they really did a good job of working with 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 what they got and you know um because i'll watch a lot of movies from this era and i don't necessarily i don't hold it against a movie for not looking that great it doesn't diminish my enjoyment of it. Sometimes it actually enhances the movie, but this is one of those movies that it actually looks really good for the time too. And, and, and that's what is one of the many aspects for me that, that allows it to hold up even till today, you know? So even though some of the themes and the effects utilized in the movie kind of date it overall, the movie itself 
is not dated. So I think that's why I can continually return to it after all these years, because it's another one of those movies that I did see around the time that it came out very close to. And when I was a kid, it, aspects of the movie actually frightened me quite a bit, <laughs> which is funny because it's, again, it's a pretty campy, you know, comic movie in a lot of ways, but there's parts of this that it, you're a kid and you see it. They're pretty effectively terrifying, particularly the, the slasher moments, the, the, the maniacal axe murderer parts in both his forms, his human and his zombie form. Yeah. His zombie always, form is, is terrifying. It always really gave me the heebie-jeebies thinking about that guy and just he thinking sort of about looks like Eddie in his zombie yeah, form. I think that had a lot to do with it too, as far as it really having an impact on me is yeah, it reminded me of uh, Eddie and I, uh, I subconsciously had this terror for a long time of the, the ax murderer, the, the maniacal ax murderer, you know, getting you from behind. And I, I can trace that to this movie in certain ways. So, yeah, probably the first time that you realized, like, I don't know, maybe you're so young that you don't even like can conceptualize this idea that somebody would murder a bunch of people using one implement and it just being like brutal like the idea of a serial killer being like i didn't know fucking people could just go off the rails like that (laughs) i'm just a little (laughs) kid like yeah it's it's terrifying yeah and i grew up in a fairly rural area and there was a lot of woods around me so there was definitely plenty of moments when i'd be hanging out in the woods you know at, at night or at dusk in 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 those moments you you, you would have this impending terror sometimes of <laughs> absolutely sort of, i had lots of sleepless nights specifically because of the x-files but yes yeah that too that as well um but yeah going back to tom atkins of course tom atkins really yeah he is the main man in this movie and there's Again, I like every one of the main characters, and I'll get more into detail uh, with that. But really, as you said, this movie would fall apart without Tom Atkins because he delivers all the great one-liners. He's a really great, he's a tragic hero in a lot of ways. So, you know, there's, um, they built a lot of, you know, wanting to empathize with him within the character because, yeah, like you said, he's just kind of reliving his trauma through these event, these events that just, you know, completely miraculously unfold to to the, <laughs> the, 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 you know, the crazy circumstance of an alien experiment dropping to Earth. <laughs> yeah. And. And it just goes to show that all you ACAB enthusiasts out there, we found the good, we found the only non-bastard, Detective Ray Cameron. See, they're not all bastards. You got, you got one good guy. Yeah, I mean, come on now, really. Let's 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 be let's be honest. You would all want to hang out with Detective Cameron. Oh my God, it's Miller time every time. Oh, hell yeah. Let's crack them. And those, the, the, you're cracking beers that have like the pull tabs and stuff. What a fun time just to dr- be drinking, being alive, 
party. Talking about great. Yeah, talking about wild gumshoe stories. I love it when he it shows his apartment and he's just got fucking Mickey Spillane books around him, and he's he he's not only a detective uh, as far as his employ goes, but you know he he appreciates the finer aspects of the job. He is he is a true uh, nerd about his his craft. You can tell. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I love uh, I love what he calls um, when he calls Chris uh, slappy. Spanky. <laughs> spanky. That's it. Spanky. I would like it if he called him slappy, though. <laughs> I couldn't remember what it was. Spanky. That's so yeah. good. <laughs> spanky and alfalfa. Him and JC. They're, they're spanky and alfalfa. Yeah, it's great. Hey, spanky. Yeah. <laughs> He's just such a yeah. He's just such a great wisecracking fucking curmudgeon, uh, a, a salty old dog. Ever if there is one, um, but yeah. Speaking of that too, JC. So I really really like JC in this movie, and he is another tragic tragic character that um, I feel like it's the actor that played him, Steve Marshall just did a phenomenal job and he's one of these he's one of these individuals that really only did a handful of roles and then just disappeared and that's another kind of question i have relating to this movie is this guy nailed it as jc you would figure in my opinion and maybe again because this might have just been a a cursed film it might have been an albatross in a lot of ways but i figured this guy would have gotten more roles and would have went on to do other things but he really didn't do much even though this is one of his first movies he did and he's really funny in it he's he's a really witty guy and he's between him and chris because the thing is with like chris is chris is like a wiener and you definitely in a lot of ways are not empathizing with him as a character. I feel until, you know, later in the movie, Chris evolves as a character for me and eventually he becomes a more likable character. But in the first half of the movie, the first act or so you're just like, God, this kid is a putz. He's just such a a wiener. And JC is just doing everything he can to be his bud. And he's cut. He's, he's adding all this comic relief and levity and trying to uplift him, even though he's handicapped and, you know, he's probably a pretty miserable dude having to go to college, with all these dickheads. And so I really appreciate JC as kind of um, the, the comic relief between this duo and, and I don't understand what happened to Steve Marshall, but Hey, Steve Marshall, if you're listening, I am a big fan of you, my friend. Yeah, his name isn't even a hyperlink on the Wikipedia page, which means there's no no other information to to speak of. But um, to speak specifically to that actor and that character, um, I I mean, I don't know if that actor is uh, is disabled, but I love the the, like final frontier in inclusion in film is like people with disabilities in normal fucking roles, like not playing a person with a disability, but a character that happens to have a disability. So it's really refreshing to see it, especially like the only other example specifically in horror that I can think of is whiny bitch mouth Franklin from Texas Chainsaw (laughs) Massacre. Right. Mealy mouth, just like fucking sniveling dipshit. I fuck. And it does such a disservice to 
portray someone with a disability like that. And this is so refreshing. It's so he also plays a very, very difficult role because this is a role in almost every horror movie. The wise cracking sidekick friend who can be very, very annoying. If you you got to toe the line because you don't want to go into the territory of like, okay, I can't wait for this guy to to die when he dies in this it's gripping and sad and yeah you miss him and he's he's wisecracking in a way that's very relatable and um yeah it's it's a phenomenal performance by someone that we will never see again um it's (laughs) it's great it stood out to me as well yeah, he's just along with Tom Atkins. He's another guy in this movie that you would want to hang out with. Like, I, I would be buds with this guy. He, he's really my kind of dude. So, I mean, we don't, we haven't mentioned this yet, but by God, I mean, we've got Tom Atkins and Dick Miller in the same movie here. <laughs> that I, my man. I did not forget. <laughs> no, I, I assuredly I did. I wanted to bring it up early because it's incredible. And Dave, I like I like David Paymer a lot. He's another one of those guys that's just like in everything. Yeah. Um, I love him uh, as like the clueless scientist trying to get into the the cryogenics lab. But um, yeah, uh, yeah, Dick Miller. Tom Atkins, my God, th- these pants can't hold this erection. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and and albeit Dick is only in the movie for a, a very, uh, which is this a, fucking sh- the whole shtick is just like <laughs> unless you're seeing like bucket of blood, like it's the only full length movie I could think of where he was carrying it. Uh, yeah, yeah, he just became a bit guy, hence the category from last season, the Dick Miller award. But yeah, he, he does. He's there for five minutes, uh, just like he is in like uh, Terminator. Um, and it's great. You're like, hell yeah. I'm glad I saw him. Glad he was there. He, he killed it. <laughs> he del- Yeah. He delivers the goods and you're always wanting more dick, but he only There's gives only so, so much, much dick to go around. There's only so much dick to go around. And unfortunately, we'll never get any more of that dick. But there's plenty, you know, that we can go back in the catalog and and, and appreciate. Very, very, so. very few movies are going to have two of our four Mount Flixmore uh, heads. <laughs> I'm not right. sure if Dick Miller is up there. Tommy has a place, the, the most huh? prominent place on Mount Flixmore. Um Dick should probably be up there, but we have we, we only have four places, so it's it's hard to say that we would put him on up there because of his character acting. But uh, to have them both on the same screen was a delight. It really is, and uh, and it's a great scene in general. It's got you know again some really choice one liners. The um, I, I just came here for your standard fa- flamethrower. That one liner. Yeah, and he's a gun. He's a a gun salesman, just like in Terminator. <laughs> yeah, he's How a cop. Yeah, he's a cop gun salesman. <laughs> and I love that they had Atkins and and Miller chewing screen together specifically, like mm-hmm. just watching Two Kings, just <laughs> <laughs> rule the land. It, it's a uh, uh, truly great. I, I love it. I loved it. 
Um, more cast uh, goods. I really genuinely also like Alan Kayser as Brad. That guy plays the perfect frat dildo fuck nut. Yeah, man. He just great performance. He he tees it up and and just whacks it out out of, out of the fucking park. And uh, the we talk a lot about um, artifacts of a bygone era in cinema. We mentioned it in the last episode, maybe the last two because of what we watched clearly. Um, but yeah, the, the frat sorority dude, bro, chick, bro, uh, trope, definitely not a thing that happens anymore. I was actually wondering the same thing. Um, like do sororities and fraternities function similarly still i mean i'm just so far removed from college and being on a college Mm -hmm. campus that i know that they still function they're not like uh, completely defunct but like this idea of pledgehood and um like you know hazing Hazing. and that sort of stuff though yeah that is a a forgotten bygone era and this it's almost like this sadie hawkinsy kind of Uh, relationship between the sororities and the fraternities and um, yeah it it's it's definitely nostalgic and it's what it's what are those things that dates this movie in a good way just like the effects I don't think the effects necessarily like hold up in a in a modern day sense but they hold up in in the respect that it makes me feel nostalgic and it it's roots this movie heavily in in the 80s and it's great I think it's just like it's all one package it all of it aesthetically really melds together yeah absolutely and i was gonna say um to uh piggyback on the sorority frat house kind of trope another thing that's in this movie uh that i never do not appreciate about any 80s slasher horror movies we get a quality uh sorority uh boob shower scene so it's so, it's only there for a, minute, a second, but we get it. Yes, yeah. <laughs> a la the, Porky's, the, the, yeah, 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 yeah. The, the lathering up of of nubile bodies in Got the to. in the sorority shower. <laughs> let, let me see your reproductive organs, girl. Um, <laughs> yeah, so this brings our boob streak to seven. Now we have done seven movies in a row with topless scenes. Um, uh, to quote myself, boy, howdy, let the good times roll. <laughs> are we, are, are we going to go out on this? Is this going to be some? Our eighth movie will not have boobs. Oh, well, that's a disappointment. But, but hey. in a lot of ways, it'll it's almost it, it transcends boobs. It's like hornier than anything you could get out of watching boobs. Oh, geez. Wow, man. Not to jump the gun too much, okay. but put some breadcrumbs down for the ending of this. Episode. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, we've we've got amp, we've got an ample um, nice banquet of ample banquet of buxom bodies. So that's fine. My we don't, God. Yes. It's like a <laughs> <laughs> we don't need to be gluttons for, no. you know, we 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 can be tasteful about this. So that's fine. We don't need to go out with any more boobies. Surely. Um, Oh, fuck it. I'll just, I'll do a Russ Meyer movie. (laughs) (laughs) Go off with like a goddamn boobzooka of like tits. (laughs) Just like boobs. Like just like, Hey, 
Give slander. me some Tura Satana, my man, and I am I'm not gonna be angry about that at all. Well uh, <laughs> the streak does end here, but it was nice while it lasted. Uh, well we it will totally, be resumed. totally on accident. We did not obviously not plan this like at all. Yeah. We didn't have a discussion that's what, about that's it. That's what's so nice about it. It was an organic boob streak. And I look forward to next season where we have like an organic hanging brain uh, streak where just like, wow, lots of male genitalia all in a row. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And then maybe we can maybe that will lend itself to a new category. You know, the 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 anatomy section of the podcast. Mm, OK. Something to think about. Yeah, we don't have any off the mic discussions about, hey, you know, maybe we're just like talking way too much about titties. No, 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 no. But it could roll over into a future category, like a George, the George Thorogood Award for the most bad to the boner performance and, you know, something like that. Well, I did last season kind of pepper in, I think, in one of the categories, um, uh, gore and and skin. I did try to talk about the a little bit about the. Uh, we just end up talking. We just end up sounding like Beavis and Butthead, so it's hard to like d- to discuss any of this. Like it, it'd be like my good has the boobies, <laughs> right? <laughs> and, and and there was there's boobs. <laughs> that, that was right. that was a, the only thing in my good. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Shut so, up, asshole. <laughs> yeah, we'll we'll, we'll rein ourselves in with that. I wanted to say uh, another recur- recurring kind of theme throughout this movie that I really like a lot is the forensic cop that is perpetually eating food around the victims. I love the the trope of the of the cop like <laughs> fucking screwing up the, <laughs> the, the the murder scene with donut crumbs everywhere. Yeah. He's just like like laughing at everything's fucking hilarious to him. He's just chawing on a hoagie there and (laughs) over the over the corpse. What is uh, what is your food of choice that you would eat while uh, pulling up the (laughs) the dressing of a a corpse on a sidewalk? (laughs) Which goes back to our discussion about Terrifier, because the front of the the coroner there was talking about getting some grub. And that, yes. that led me to, that led me to my awful uh, leper joke. I think <laughs> I think my food of choice while looking at identifying a corpse on the sidewalk as a cop would be a, like a real sopping wet Italian beef sandwich. Absolutely. It had to be the most sloppy, meaty sandwich you can think of. <laughs> a marinara meatball hoagie. Oh, with- yeah. It's a- <laughs> a meatball sl- slides out of the bottom of that thing, just lands on the body. <laughs> That's great. Uh, in the in the uh, the uh, anjou of the <laughs> the anjou of the corpse. <laughs> this, this is just this comedy writes itself. <laughs> um. Now, I don't know about you, Pat, but there's another trope in this movie that I feel like is of a bygone era, and that is the the cryogenic uh, yeah. theme that is pivotal to this movie. You don't hear people talking about cryogenics anymore. That's like a quack science artifact of a bygone era. There's obviously still people cryogenically frozen because that was the whole point of the 
of the, uh, you know, what whatever that that, that science was to you know to preserve people pseudoscience indefinitely. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, but that's definitely a, a trope of this. Like yeah, outside of like Ted Williams, like the baseball player, that's like the yeah. I didn't even know it was like a. It's definitely a, a thing in the eighties was. The the obsession with the future and being around for it. And so that goes hand in hand with this idea of freezing yourself to be able to enjoy the flying car era that we will never get to. Right. Well, and I maybe that lends itself to the to the idea that just now everybody knows we have no future. So what the, what's the point in freezing yourself for it? <laughs> yeah, well, yeah. Well, it's only getting worse. <laughs> Let's, I'm not. I want to freeze myself to wait for to be woken up in the past. Like we've right. we've solved time travel, and now my cryogenics tube says, "Wake me up in 1984, please." <laughs> right. Yeah. Give me, give me a little bit more time before, you know, the the desert desertification of the world uh, happens and we're living a Mad Max like future here. Yeah, <laughs> which has plenty of uh, aspects of it that I'm pretty stoked on. But that's for a different discussion. But yeah, there was a movie. Um, I don't know if you saw this movie. It's it's a Wes Craven movie that its whole theme was around the idea of releasing a cryogenically frozen individual that has no soul chiller. Do you remember that movie? Did you oh, chiller. That? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I, I, um, I don't remember anything about it, but I know what you're talking about. It's actually, I remember it being a fairly good movie. Uh, I have not seen it in a while, but conceptually it was interesting. Um, it, you know, it it delved into this thing that Craven likes it. You know, Craven was a philosophy major or something like that. So despite the fact that his, you know, his focus in movies was always horror. And in a lot of ways that lends itself to being what people see as being camp, being superficial and not having a lot of subtext to it. Craven did always try to add some sort of deeper themes to his movies. So, you know, with Chiller, it was this idea of, you know, metaphysics and the afterlife and the concept of whether a soul exists. And so, you know, it posits this hypothetical that, well, if somebody is resurrected from their cryogenic slumber, would their soul have, you know, left its corporeal body and they would just essentially be a, uh, you know, um, they would be dead inside. They would be morally dead inside. They would have no, you know, emotional compass whatsoever. But anyways, so that was another thing from Which the is 80s. conceptually really cool. Yeah, it's really cool. I don't know how well it got delivered because, again, I just haven't seen it in so long. I remember it being all right. I remember the main guy. I think the actually the main actor was the guy who plays Swan in The Warriors. If oh, I remember really? correctly. Huh. Yeah. So anyways, well, there we go. We just did a little bit of a divergence there. Um, let's get back on track. So um, <laughs> I I don't know. How do you feel about Gene uh, or uh, Jill Whitlow? Cute or not? Uh, cute. Thumbs up. Cute. Yeah, I give her a thumbs up. I think she's she does a really good job in that role as well. It's not like she's not blowing me away by any by any stretch of the imagination, but I think she's a 
She's a um, it's serviceable e. final girl. Daily, certainly. Yeah, but yeah, she's thumbs but who up. Is? Who is? Okay, no one. That's true. Which is also very maybe a good time to mention. I'll, albeit ham-fisted in nature, I do like the homage to all the like directors. Like uh, all the characters' last names are uh, different horror directors. Like Jill Whitlow plays Cynthia Cronenberg. You know, right. Chris Romero. Uh, there's a Sergeant Ramey. Detective um, Cameron. Uh, yeah, Officer uh, Detective Cameron and Officer Craven and Officer Bava. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, like, I, you know, it's a little bit much, but it's 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 a cute little homage. It's I yeah, like no, it. I, I I love it because again, this it's really shows that. This is a, a nerd's movie. Yeah, know, it's made a by horror, a nerd. Horror, horror nerd. fan. Yeah. Horror movie for horror fans made by a horror nerd. Yeah. Yeah. Um, of course, I really, really like the part where the, the axe murderer rises from his grave, which incidentally, as you find out, is underneath the house mother's home. Yeah, that whole scene where he <laughs> he he uh, hammers his way out of the grave with his axe while uh, the house mother is Great. watching Plan Nine from Outer Space. That little cameo there and just uh, bludgeons her in the head. Everything <laughs> about that scene rips so good. And that's where, again, going back to what I was talking about, that whole sequence from when he escapes the grave, he escapes the tomb and the cops are in pursuit and they find him in the alleyway and they start shooting him up and he's just emanating this creepy light. That whole sequence, again, really freaked me out. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, absolutely. The, the prospect of a of a zombified axe wielding murderer running loose throughout the city. <laughs> yeah, and he's more like skeletony than he is like a decomposing uh, zombie, which is which is nice because you know it's the body from the the nineteen fifties segment from the beginning. So of course he'd be like completely down to the bone. Makes sense. Mm -hmm. I like it. Yeah. Um. Of course cannot fail to mention the overturning of the frat dude bus that gets consequently <laughs> infected by the zombie dog and unleashes a horde of zombie fr how hor I mean talking about horrifying you know zombie axe murders is one thing a horde of zombified beer beer guzzling frat dudes mm. unleashed upon the city <laughs> Yeah, hide your hide your sisters, hide your girlfriends, <laughs> hide everybody. But yeah, obviously that leads up to this part of the whole final act and leads up to the finale where, you know, the horde just uh, ambushes the sorority house and is just getting blown away and torched by our, our heroes and uh, just the uh, the systematic way in which they do it by blowing open the head and then firing the blowtorch to kill the uh the slugs i really i really love that whole part of the movie and you know the thing is like i'm kind of jumping ahead here because there's not a lot of whole things that i have questions that I, and things that i don't find good about this movie there's pretty much nothing but i know that decker himself said that there was some pacing issues that he had uh with the movie and yeah i i suppose there is but that's the thing you know it really 
really winds up to a pretty, you know, phenomenal grand finale here with the, the, the blowout with the sorority house and, and taking out all the zombies. So that's really great. Love that a lot. It's a good way to go out in the movie. And Tom Atkins, uh, not to step on our, our quote Dick, but it, it, it would be privy to mention that he, really gets the party started with the best line in the movie, which is, I got good news and bad news, girls. The good news is your dates are here. What's the bad news? They're dead. Like that's, yep. that is when the party starts. Like he kicks it exactly. off. He's the guy that comes to the party and like head butts a beer and into a oblivion and then shotguns another one that he has in his pocket. And you're like, oh, okay, we're partying tonight. Right. And so that's the thing. If there is any issues with the pacing, it really this whole final act really makes up for it with just how slam bam. Thank you, ma'am. It is with the action and and the one liners and just it revving up to that final that final showdown that that Cameron has in the basement with the the uh, disgusting scree- uh, squirming, screaming mass of slugs that have found the brains down in the basement. Mount <laughs> Slugmore. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, and then of course it ends on him um, self immolating. He sacrifices himself again, once again, talking about how he's the tragic, he's the tragic, really the tragic hero of this movie. And, uh, He's met, he's met his final purpose. He's taken out, you know, his his enemy in the axe murderer. And then he he saves the day. Well, theoretically saves the day. They leave it open ended at the end of the movie um, by torching himself there in the basement with with the, the slugs. And then, of course, you got the ending where it leaves it open in the in the ending that maybe the slugs still remain. Um Cynthia might have been infected by a slug. Who knows? You know, obviously with a lot of movies like this in the 80s, I think the the writers and the producers and the director wanted to leave it open-ended for the potential of a sequel, you know, and all the the merchandising that could come from it. You know, we never got that. But nonetheless, it leaves you questioning what happens after after the end uh, credit credits roll on the screen, and I love a good self immolation. That's great. Also, always good. A la the the monk from uh, the Rage Against the Machine <laughs> album. <laughs> it goes out like that. Nice swerve. Killing in the name of Tom Atkins. Um, I mentioned all my goods. What other goods you got, Pat? You got anything else? Well, like I mentioned earlier, I have this theory of why this movie maybe didn't oh. do well. Yes, and please. The The good is the year 1986, which uh, I have long believed the year of my birth. Um, coincident, not coincidentally, of course it is, uh, is the greatest year for horror ever maybe <laughs> i mean it's up there uh and i think it's almost maybe, like your parents knew something yeah they did was I, like, I was born at, at the at the height of horror <laughs> they're like man 
Sweeney, there's going to be a lot of good horror movies coming out, and I think our kid's going to really like movies, so what do you say? Let's fuck. Let's fuck. <laughs> that was my mom saying that. <laughs> In that voice. In that voice. Uh but I think maybe the oversaturation of horror that year uh, maybe lend itself to, you know, it's hard to go out and see all of them. But I have a quick rundown here of the year that is 1986. All of these movies and then some came out in 1986. April Fool's Day, Chopping Mall, Class of Newcomb High, Critters, uh, Demons 2, uh, The Fly, Friday the 13th Part 6. From Beyond, Henry Portrait of a Serial Killer, The Hitcher, uh, Little Shop of Horrors, Maximum Overdrive, uh, Night of the Creeps, obviously, Poltergeist 2, Psycho 3, Slaughter High, Sorority House Massacre, Spookies, Terror Vision, The Texas Chainsaw Massacre 2, uh, and nothing else worth mentioning, but a slew of others. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that is... That is a valid theory. Um, we've discussed that before uh, on other episodes where a great cult movie has been overshadowed, you know, circumstantially by other movies that are similar during the time. Like classic example that we've discussed before was Near Dark. Near Dark came out at a very weird time um, and was eclipsed by other genre related movies vampire movies and never quite got its its due because of it so i get yeah, why I've, near dark didn't though near dark is weird and it's kind of yeah. a slow plotting movie um and it's a genre mashup similar to this one uh right and maybe people didn't trust female directors as stupidly enough i don't know um but mm-hmm. this one's a this one's a party so it's hard to fathom why but that's just my uh, uh hypothesis yeah i mean it was fred decker's directorial debut so he's a young new director you got a lot of sequels maybe- in there too so like you know let's go see that that second Texas Chainsaw Massacre. Let's go see Psycho Three. Let's you know, there's lots of there's lots of movies in there. The f- the fucking fly, for God's mm-hmm. sakes. I mean, yeah. no one knew what they were getting into with that one, but uh, <laughs> maybe the greatest horror movie ever made. So yeah, that's a tough year. Yeah, I buy that. That's a good point. Um, any other goods? Yeah, uh, no. All right, on to the bad. Honestly, I don't. Sorry, I don't. I don't have any bad. I hope you got some bad. The cottage mother is bad at just survival. That woman doesn't want to live. I mean, get off your ass, you old bag. God damn it! Like she hears the pounding. The dog alerts her to the pounding. She sees an axe coming through the floor. She's like one of those uh, the old women from those life alert fucking commercials like i've fallen and i can't get she's like i'm sitting and i can't get up like she just couldn't she deserved to die and also the idea of a cottage mother is so fucking preposterous that i'm glad that she got it i i'm i'm being assaulted by a zombified axe murderer and i can't get up life alert life alert my life alert bracelet that is true i will say so there's a lot of cliches in this movie intentionally dropped in 
um, that actually the movie is self-aware enough that it, it does redeem itself from it when, you know, you have these incidences of why isn't that person, you know, why isn't their survival instinct kicking in better? Or why aren't they realizing that this is a dumb decision? Well, one example is when uh, Chris and Cynthia are, are being ambushed by the horde of zombies by the tool shed and they they don't know where to go and they panic and they just go into the 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 tool shed where the lawnmower is at and clearly it's a bad idea and chris points out yeah great plan so that's one of those instances where the movie was self-aware and there's a few others like that but i agree (laughs) that is one of those things where yes she could have at least gotten up and anything anything but yeah she's she's just i don't know maybe she just uh, awaited death sweet and bright embrace right (laughs) she was just ready to go she's like well if i'm gonna go out i guess i'll go out with as well with the axe plunged deep into my brain no other (laughs) way i mean that's gotta be quick i would imagine (laughs) uh any others I I do think that the uh, the final act comes like a tick too late. We've it, there's not a there's not quite enough that happens uh, to satiate. I wish there was like maybe one more grotesque little thing. Um, it comes a tick too late uh, in in the movie, and compared to other like gross out finales, like. <laughs> I was thinking of Dead Alive the whole time we were watching this. Like, Dead Alive culminates in a, uh, like, phantasmagoric fucking, (laughs) (laughs) like, uh, you know, one of the greatest finale scenes of all time. And then you even get, like, you get a similar lawnmower scene. um, Which I thought, like, this finale, when I'm talking about, like, my favorite horror movies of all time, doesn't stack up to the pure gory gross out finales of like dead dead alive is better for my money oh yeah i actually remembered this differently and so it's nothing bad against the movie uh it's it's a case of me fondly yet mistakenly remembering a scene i i thought i remember the whole the dates getting there and then them uh, and then like blasting all the zombies away completely differently I, I i thought it was like i thought there was more of it um it was surprisingly short shorter to me than i remembered it i i i think maybe i built it up in my mind as being like okay here here it comes here comes the the part that i you know fondly remember being fucking super rad and it just it disappointed me just a tick not not enough to take me out or not enough for me not to love this movie. But I think I just remember that finale being better than it was, if that makes sense. Yeah, I didn't necessarily have that issue, but I feel that what you're saying harkens back to what Decker was saying about with the, the pacing issues for sure. And it's funny that you mentioned the the Dead Alive reference because I wondered when I when I watched it this time with the lawnmower scene and the lawnmower being utilized as a weapon, I wonder if um Peter Jackson himself was maybe referencing that in Dead in Dead Alive. Yes, himself. because this does predate Dead Alive, obviously. By by quite a Six bit. Six years, yeah. Yeah. 
Um, so th- that's very, very likely that uh, a young aspiring Peter Jackson saw this movie and, and thought that was a really fun little bit of business and uh and then kind of made kind of made it better yeah perfected it i would hope so that would be nice well like i said i don't really don't have any bad i this is one of those movies that again it will always hold up for me there's nothing other than the pacing which to me is negligible it's just one and of those you, things when there's not like glaring bads. It's more like nitpicky stuff. The the stuff yeah. I'm bringing up is very nitpicky. Right. Exactly. So that being said, what questions did you have that arise throughout the, the movie? Oh, we got fireworks. Uh, we got 525 on July 3rd. I say that as if it's the first one. We've had them like for several weeks now, but great. It's I thought when I heard that, that I thought somebody was ramming your door in. (laughs) Um, And there it goes. And there it goes again. It's not even nighttime. You yokels. Dear Lord. Well, are you uh, ready to get purged? Yeah, you ready to get purged, motherfuckers? Kaboom, kaboom. (laughs) Uh, Probably time for my dog to take his anxiety medicine. Um, I'll give it to him when I hop off here. Um, In terms of questionable, uh, a a questionable uh, decision in the movie, I thought, was... um, (laughs) I'm laughing, but... Screaming like banshees, <laughs> having the fucking the, like Asian janitor like do like the most <laughs> like sideways racist. <laughs> <laughs> he says screaming like banshees like five, six, seven, eight, nine goddamn times. I thought maybe that portrayal was a little bit questionable. Um, <laughs> I actually really like the, the janitor scene. I but like yes. him too. I like him too. And just like having him s- scream, s- screaming like banshees, like over and over <laughs> and over again, it seemed like it was a little questionable. Um, not enough to like cancel, you know, Decker or anything like that, but just like <laughs> a little questionable of a decision. Um, and then a question for you. Do you prefer mm. the dog ending or the cemetery ending? So actually I was going to bring that up in the wiki wormhole because I'm, I am going to show my poser side a little bit. I've never seen the other ending. I've only seen the theatrical ending. Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah. Whatever version I have the, well, yeah, that's why I have the, uh, like unrated director's cut or whatever the fuck. I didn't even have a choice. Like I, yeah. the, it's the, it, it's not that it's like one ending or the other. The, tr- the theatrical version ends with the dog spitting out the slug. Yeah. And then the other version was, it's just was edited down. So it, it, the theatrical version ends with the dog and then the, uh, the director's cut just, it's the dog is still in it, but then it adds something to it. Uh, yeah. All the slugs going into the cemetery, um, which I think is the or, superior uh, ending. Actually, you know what? Maybe I have seen it. Um, I do remember that part 
seeing that part at some point. It's not drastically different. It's it's literally just all the slugs find their way into uh into the cemetery. So they hadn't gotten all the slugs. The dog like spits, you know, some out and then obviously uh the foreboding idea that all these slugs will now have like a Chinese buffet of corpses to um infest. I think that's a tight idea. Yeah, it's similar to the the unfortunate events in Return of the Living Dead where they think that they're disposing of the problem by burning up the bodies and it just creates more problems because yeah. all the the infected uh polluted zombie dust gets sprayed all over the city. Yeah. Yeah. Um, <laughs> well, I was going to say so I'll bring it up when we get to the wiki wormhole. There was an alternate ending that I read about, though, that is sounds completely different. Mm, so okay. maybe that's why I'm confused, because I do remember a cemetery scene at the end, seeing that at one point or another. The copy of this movie that I've had for years is just a real bootleg. Uh, it actually is. It's not real. It is a bootleg version of this movie that I got at a horror convention. 20 some years ago (laughs) (laughs) well maybe um maybe i'm confused as well but i thought that cemetery ending was different i know i guess we'll hash it out in the wiki wormhole yeah um i don't have any questions either i know it's a little slim pickings on on my this is a lopsided critique of this movie for sure no that's fine i don't have any uh, further questions the defense rests the defense rests. Fantastic. Well, let us move on then to our awards and categories section, shall we? Yes, yes. we shall. Okay. Thrill me. Thrill me. Thrill me. Thrill me. Thrill me. Detective. Thrill me. And topping it off at, at the very top, quotes. My golly. We've already kind of peppered a bin throughout this discussion, but if there ever was a quotable movie, good lord. It just the zingers just fly. Yeah. It's like, uh it's all Tom, really. It's all Tom. There's a little bit of, you know, JC. Yeah, he's in there true. as well. That's true. Um, and some Brad. There's some good Brad ones as well. But uh, yeah, obviously, Detective Cameron is just chewing up the lines. Thrill me. Uh, the Miller one you time. Said. Miller time. Uh, zombies, exploding heads, creepy crawlies. This is classic Spanky. <laughs> Spanky one. <laughs> <laughs> The whole monologue when Cameron's giving his confessional to Chris and he's talking about when he finds his ex-girlfriend's body and just discussing how, you know, there's parts of her in the car, parts of her in the street, parts of her in the woods. (laughs) That's a good one. Yeah. Uh, There is the screaming like banshees. We've already said that, which is reiterated not only by the janitor, but by everybody 
in the room there. Every yeah, character yeah. has to utter the screaming like Banshee's line. <laughs> they really wanted to drive that home. Um, I like it when Brad calls up Cynthia and just goes, hey, babe, it's Bradster. Bradster having Bradster as his uh, vanity plate, too. Real power move. <laughs> Now I know whose yeah. who's car to, to definitively slash tires on. <laughs> right. It helps. Um, when Brad is uh, confronting JC and Chris about the incident of the, the, the corpse escaping and he's telling them, you know, you should have dropped it off at this place instead of this other place, this other fraternity. And Chris just says, hey, it's all Greek to me. Mm, that's a good one. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, JC has someone's like, I don't know who it is. The Morton Salt girl. Hey, hey, toots. What's your name? (laughs) (laughs) But yeah, a lot of good quotes. A lot of singers in this movie. Lots of Tom. Tom just comes in with all one liners. Like his entire, the script has had to be nuts. He'd been like, okay, I say one line here. I say one line here. I say one line here. (laughs) Peppered throughout. (laughs) And he delivers it with a plum. So yeah, he does. Bravo. Yeah. Bravo. Uh, best scene, worst scene. For me, there's a few. Um, the shootout with the the maniacal axe wielding zombie in the alleyway is a good one. That one always stood out for me. The uh, the whole final act with the sorority house. That's really good. Um, those are like some of the more standout scenes, but there's a lot of really good ones. What's in this your one. best? What is the the top one? If you had to choose the the top one, I'll just go with the the zombie shootout alley scene. There you go, best scene. I said Tom Atkins sipping those tiki drinks. I I love the, that dream sequence. It's good. It's a real. It's one of the best introductions to a character in a movie. It's great. Yeah, it really is good. I like that one too. I don't really have any. I don't have any bad scenes. I like. I like this whole movie. This is the the sorority girls being sorority girls is like yeah. the worst part. Probably just them like the cottage mother coming over and just all the the men the mundanity of their lives. Yeah, I suppose if you're going to strike it up as having one, but I also don't mind that the that slice of life aspect of again a bygone era or in no. a different uh, a whole different world, a world that you or I have never approached in any way shape or form existing within the uh the the Greek system. I was never ever in any way shape or form fraternity material. I was barely even college material. So <laughs> I'm just Greek. So and you're Greek. So there you go. I mean, I guess of the two of us, you are the closest. I'm actually Greek. Yes. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> I don't like the idea of them subverting my culture, though. I really I really grinds my gears. <laughs> Say it's my culture. It's not a costume. You fuckers. That's true. With the Greek flag draped around me while I'm eating baklava. Yeah. And then throw a Molotov cocktail at them. Hell yeah. <laughs> uh, the Dahmer hardly newer award for the most killer performance. I mean, really? Is there is there really any question here? No, no. Tom Atkins at, in the Hall of Fame for us. 
but as an honorary uh an honorary awardee i would give it to steve marshall as jc i i like again I, yeah the I, no-brainer I was, answer is tom atkins and sure any anybody else would be getting a, a second second class nomination then that brings us to the Michael Rooker Award for the most evil fucker in the movie. This is another one where it's it's kind of hard to pin down. I mean, you could say the slugs, but I put down the 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 maniac, the axe wielding maniac. I said the Bradster. <laughs> the Bradster was going to be my other. Yes, non monster voted most likely to. Uh, roofie a girl and, and get acquitted of all sexual assault charges thanks to his rich daddy who's like a county judge. <laughs> and go on to be uh, an influential a Ted Bundy Republican, Republican. Yeah. Yep. An aspiring Absolutely. Ted Bundy Republican. Yeah. If Brad, Brad wouldn't have been zombified, that would have been his trajectory for sure. He would have went on to have an illustrious career as a reactionary. Oh, thriving even. <laughs> it's funny because that's another that's kind of another uh, jab that you see Fred Decker has with uh, within the movie is Brad's clearly very Aryan. And there's that point when when he is on the phone making the tiki drinks or whatever, and he calls Cynthia, he's wearing the 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 german tank top there yeah yeah (laughs) and then of course you know jc makes the reference to him goose stepping yeah 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 you're right that's that's interesting he's definitely yes he's definitely a very aryan nazi uh character in in those he also just has like tucker carlson vibes like you just want to fucking tie that bow tie until you're he's fucking purple just Choke him out. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, recasting couch. Any fantasy recasting here? I didn't have any. Boy, you can't you, you can't recast when when perfection was already executed in terms of the casting. Like, I even like all the casting choices of, of all the nobodies that I don't recognize in anything else ever again. Like uh, it's great. I didn't. I didn't even fantasy cast like a, a remake and what that would look like because you can't. Mm. You would never nail the Tom Atkins character. You couldn't. I, I don't even want to fantasy cast that. I don't even know what that would look like. Yeah, I will say as far as casting goes, I don't know if you noticed she has a real brief appearance. Speaking of Return of the Living Dead, that the one of the sorority girls that is on the phone, the blonde one there towards the end. Wait, no, she's not on the phone. She's the one that answers the door when Brad shows up. She is also in Return of the Living Dead. She's Brenda in Return of the Living Dead. Oh, really? Yeah. Huh. I didn't I didn't make the connection. Interesting. So there. Yeah. So that was a nice little cameo there. Body count. I couldn't pin this down because you can kind of count them, obviously, up to the point where the frat bus gets overturned and then who the fuck knows how many of those guys well, die. This is an interesting movie because I never thought about this before, but I did find a list of deaths wiki. Yeah, so did I. I saw all that. But so they're, just, but they're counting like every time they die and then every time the zombies die. So everybody, basically everybody gets every everybody counts for two, which yeah. I don't know if that's cheating or not. Um, we have to have a frank discussion as to whether or not we want this as 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 dethroning uh, 
Dead Alive, which is at 87 because it has. Yeah, it has the potential. That's why I'm wondering. Well, this one that I found says 369. (laughs) That's not right. Because they break it down as 15 men, four women, 15 zombies. And then this is where it goes off the rails. 329 aliens. What? How the hell did they get to 329 slugs? Like who the who fuck counted? It's impossible. Like, right. That, that doesn't even make sense. Eight victims of unknown gender. I don't even know what that means. And <laughs> two animals, because obviously the cat and the dog both get it right. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, let's take the 329 aliens out of this. Even even so. We've got what 38, 39, 44, 1 for 2, 42, and two animals. So let's just say that's the number and that dead alive is still still number yeah. one. Yeah, I I had the thought that maybe this would come close to the reigning number, but still. Because I'm trying to speculate how many guys would have been on that bus. Because I'm not counting them as dying of zombies. They they're dead once. You only, you yeah, only get and one. If you and if you don't count it twice, then the number is even lower. So it's we're just at this point, it's not even anywhere close. So Right. Fair enough. Okay. So wiki wormhole time. At the top, this is going back to that alternate ending discussion that we had. Um so maybe this will ring some bells for you. I, I I realized that what I was describing was Tom Atkins is like charred corpse comes out and the yes. slugs come out of him and yes. the, and it's into the cemetery. So is yes. the cemetery in both? Like, no, is the cemetery like is the theatrical cut end with the dog and you don't see the cemetery stuff at all? You don't. But this is the thing. When you said the part about the cemetery that actually a light went off in my brain. Cause I, I vaguely remember that portion. So I think I have seen the alternate ending. It's just been so long and I'm just so f- more familiar with the, the theatrical ending. So the best part of it is also Tom Atkins is still smoking in his like charred <laughs> remains. He's still smoking a cigarette, but obviously he's being like controlled by the slugs at this point. And then that's when the slugs come out of him and kind of scurry into the cemetery. But the dog is also in, in the alternate ending. They show the dog yeah. too. It's all in that. Yeah. I guess I, I haven't seen whatever the theatrical ending is in such a long time. I can't even really think about like where it ends. Like it's, a, it's just the dog the, and then that's it. That's it. It cuts oh, okay. to black. So it shows Cynthia goes down to to pet the dog and she looks at the dog and then it cuts to the dog's mouth with the slug coming out. And then it quick cuts to her face, like with her her eyes wide open. So it implies that the slug is going into into Cynthia, but you don't know. OK, either way, it leaves open the possibility that the slugs continue. Yes. To yeah. Survive. It's not in the, the end. End. Yeah, it's not the end. So. Okay. Uh, Fred Decker originally wanted to shoot the film in black and white. He included every B movie he cliche he could think of and insisted on directing the script himself. I don't know. I I don't know if this movie would have lended itself to being completely black and white. I like the pivot back and forth. Yeah, I like so, I like the like nineteen fifties segments, like in black and white. But um, 
I wouldn't have liked that. There's also not enough of a uh, of like like if they cut to the 80s and it was still in black and white, it would be it, there, there's not enough of a break there. Like to colorize it, you're you're like pushing forward in time and it feels like a different era. Yeah, and time so, has gone by. So yeah. I'm glad they made that choice to yeah, agreed. Cut cut back and forth. The script was written in a week. Hats off. Did Decker write the script? No. Um, it was his roommate. And I'm drawing a blank on his name. Something Black. His last name's Black. I don't know um, if you can... I'm looking on the Wikipedia. Yeah, whatever. I don't see it. Yeah, so... That guy wrote it. Maybe... Um, Tom Decker or Tom Decker, Fred Decker might have had something. It says do. written by Fred Decker. I can't see the like, screen right though. Hmm. Anyways, I know that there was it was a collaborative effort. Gotcha. So it wasn't all. Anyways, um, this is Tom Atkins' favorite role he's ever been in, as it should be. I mean, you got Halloween three. Uh, what Maniac uh, or uh, the Fog? Is he in Maniac Cop? He's in yes, absolutely. Right? I was, I was the main character making sure that I was I, for whatever reason. Maniac Cop makes me think of different movies. Okay, yeah, <laughs> that and yeah, The Fog. That's interesting. Yeah, I would. I mean, obviously, this is my favorite role of his. He's also in. I don't know if you've seen this movie. I've only seen it once. He's in this weird movie called the ninth configuration uh-uh. which was written and directed by uh william peter blatty who wrote the uh the exorcist exorcist yeah interesting it's actually like a, so i only saw it once and i kind of i was pretty tired when i saw it um so i was kind of falling in and out of sleep not related to the movie it's a, a weird movie it's got uh jason miller in it also from the exorcist it's got a really good cast it's got stacy keach the premise is really strange it's this idea of these uh ex-vietnam vets are essentially convalescing in a castle up in the bavarian mountains oh from God. ptsd and Stacey Keach is a military psychiatrist that goes up to essentially treat them and study them. But there's like this twist within the movie that Stacey Keach is actually the one that's insane. And all the uh, people in the ward, the soldiers in the ward are sane. And it's his own hallucination he's having. Anyways, but Tom Atkins and he's a, a very young Tom At- Atkins. That's wild. Jesus. Yeah. I love it. So, I love it even when he props up in like he's in that My Bloody Valentine mm-hmm. uh, reboot and um, Drive Angry. Like I love just when he pops up regardless of the decade. Yeah. Oh, and incidentally, so the screenwriter's name was Shane Black because it's in the next part that I was going to talk about. Okay. So this is kind of a long one, but this is interesting. Think about uh, this hypothetical here. Uh, Night of the Creeps wasn't the only Fred Decker script, which included zombie attack, attacking humans, zombies attacking humans. Around 1988, he and his friend screenwriter Shane Black worked together on writing a final draft of the script titled Shadow Company. It was actually the first script that Black wrote in 1984, a year before he wrote his first draft of Lethal Weapon. So there you go. Mm. Which which, uh, Tommy Atkins is also in. Yeah. Um, 
The script was to be an action horror film about a group of U.S. Special Forces soldiers who died during the Vietnam War. And years later, after their bodies are brought back, the soldiers who rot, who were supposed to be members of a secret army experiment rise up from their graves as rotting, unstoppable zombies. The zombie soldiers would have raided the armory from a nearby army base and proceeded to destroy the town in which they were buried, killing everyone in it and wiping it off the ground during Christmas night. So pretty wild premise. I love that. Yeah. Not only that, though, the movie was going to be directed by John Carpenter and it was going to be produced by Walter Hill and it was going to have Kurt Russell in the main role. (laughs) I mean, yeah, take all my money. Yeah, right, man. That's that's a uh, woulda, coulda, shoulda. Why didn't we get that movie? No shit. That's it for not. I mean, but if it's like we would, we got the thing instead. If it's like one of those weird things, where it's just sure. like we got the thing in be, uh, instead of that, then I'm okay with it. But if yeah, we could have gotten both, then <laughs> that'd be great. Yeah, exactly. Detective Cameron says, "Thrill me only five times." You would think it would be more. Uh, yeah, I, yeah, I would have. If you put the over under at five, I would have said more than five for sure. And then Chris says it once. That's true. Yes. Yeah. Um, you'll like this little tidbit there, being a Star Trek freak that you are, a little Trekkie. Mm-hmm. The spaceship model was used later in an episode of Star Trek: Deep Space Nine. What? Really? No shit. No. Deep Space Nine, my my favorite incarnation. Interesting. I did not know that. Very cool. That's all I got. You got any other little little, little, little nuggets? No, I mean, uh, I would I would have mentioned if I hadn't already that this went on to inspire James Gunn's um, Slither, which I still mm-hmm. highly recommend. And there's uh, there's people whose uh, opinions I hold dear who love Slither. Um we have mutual friends I know who love love Slither a lot. So it's great. Mm-hmm. It's a, a real callback, and they really lean he- re- lean in to the real gross um, uh, homemade special effects. Nice. Okay. Well, then I will definitely watch it. It sounds sounds like it is at least worthy of my time. So I'll get back to you on it. Cool. Okay, well, that wraps this one up, my friends. So we're going to rate this puppy like we do. So what is our iconography? I mean, I feel like this is a pretty simple one for me. I was going to say just slugs, but what what else you got? Yeah, slugs like coming out of Tom Atkins's charred uh, <laughs> corpse. <laughs> out of five... Uh, Slug infested Tom Atkins heads. Yeah. What do you give that? That's great. Um, I would give this a solid, real solid four out of five. Um, it's not. I think of the. I think of like the movies that I would put in the five category, and specifically ones we've discussed. And like Dead Alive is a five. This does a really good job, but I don't I don't hold it in the same regard as as Dead Alive. I think Dead Alive does every single thing this movie does better. It's funnier. Like, I think it's funnier uh, and it's more slapsticky 
and the and the finale I think is more grandiose and gross out. But this is more than serviceable. It's one of the one of the best horror movies of of the 80s, which says a lot. It's it's really really good. An original concept that is not not heavily duplicated ever again. Um, and it's not just a zombie movie. So I, I for all those reasons it's a real hard four. That's good. I, I, I like your summation uh, and holding back because of your uh, your more uh, diehard love for for Dead Alive. I'm going to give it a five just because I love Dead Alive as well. And and I totally agree with you on all those points because uh, because you're right. But I don't know. This movie for me, I guess, has more nostalgia nostalgic impact so and the movies aren't really that five. similar either it's not like it's sure. hard to compare the two because they're both uh they're both horror comedies but um that's kind of where the similarities end but um yeah i you know i i don't have any problem with you giving both of those movies fives i mean they mm-hmm. both rip so that's fine which i did you're right okay where is this landing on the midnight clock you know, we got we got some boobies. Uh, there's some gross out shit. Uh, probably like one. Yeah. Or midnight. Right at Mid- midnight. I was going to say this is this is a I was going to say this could be another example of right on the midnight clock. Yeah. Yeah. It's a perfect example of one. So that's <laughs> appropriate. Pat. Here we are. We made it. Well, we've almost made it to another end of our long foray into discussing all these movies. We're going to cap it off with your choice. So please regale us with what you're going to deliver for our final movie for this season. I'm giddy. I'm giddy. (laughs) So we, um, so we did an Arnold movie in season one, the inaugural episode of season one we and we we called him back uh for season two appropriately enough um so i thought that we would call back somebody else um and that is our friend sly sly oh, stallone i knew i knew it because i missed him dearly and uh <laughs> i think we need more of him um yeah. so we are going to do over the top <laughs> a movie that, that I absolutely love and parts <laughs> of which uh, I absolutely hate. Uh, <laughs> but I think it's a great example of, of a midnight a midnight movie and one one of his uh, swings, but not a, a total uh, grand slam. <laughs> by by any stretch of the imagination but i think it's super f- fucking fun and dumb uh and it breaks the booby streak but we get just the most oiled up man buttered <laughs> muscles that you could fucking fathom outside of like predator uh yeah this is this is just take out take out the lotion time to rub rub some muscles down <laughs> and uh get to tugging <laughs> get to tugging in more than one way getting to tug your love muscle 
your arm. I muscles. truly meant just like tug, like you know, as in like in an arm wrestling fashion. But yes, yeah, I know uh, that's what furiously you masturbating too. Yes, of course. <laughs> and so over the top will be our uh, finale of season two. I I like that a lot. I love that movie. And you know what? Man, I cannot wait to talk so much shit about that fucking kid in that movie. I have uh, mentioned this in in other episodes, but he is the most reprehensible child in any movie ever. Just the most petulant, whiny, like uh, just self-serving and like obnoxious. And it's awful, awful. I don't even know how Sly puts up with this shit, but uh, yeah. He's yeah. thoroughly insufferable. You just want to drop kick him to the fucking sun repeatedly. Dude, absolutely. <laughs> absolutely. But uh, Sly does his best to really to really make this a movie. And it's great. <laughs> it's the reason why I still pull my hat backwards whenever someone wants to fucking arm wrestle at any point. Got to put the cat backwards. It's physics. It's just fucking physics, baby. That's how you arm wrestle. You got to put the cap, the cap has to go backwards first, and then you're ready to go. Let me also mention just real quick before we sign off that, you know, I, I don't utilize Instagram that much anymore. I use ours. That's basically my main channel that I'm, I kind of look at content through. And I want to say to the people listening that if you're not following Sylvester Stallone on Instagram yet, then please do. Because when his posts pop up, it it always just brings me a little little just glimmer of joy. His so. thing recently on Instagram is little kids run into him thinking he's Rocky or calling him mm-hmm. Rocky. And then he's like, hey, yo, you take the camera out. And then uh, he poses with them. He's like, hey, yo, little kids, who do you think I am? And they're like, you're Rocky. And he's like, hey, you kids are all right. And then he like poses with them. <laughs> it's fucking great. And they're at like a putt-putt course or like whatever. Like just they run into him in random fucking places. I, he's a great presence. I think another IG shout out that is kind of in the weeds is Jonathan Davis is a, Oh yeah. (laughs) Great fucking follow. He posted a picture on the beach and said, quote for the caption, freak on a beach and i fucking pissed my pants i was like this guy <laughs> just jonathan davis on a fucking beach with like a drink he's like freaking a beach get it i'm like fuck yeah i'll, I'll follow that leader all the way home <laughs> <laughs> so there you go bright brighten up your uh your feet a little bit with some choice celebrity. If you're looking for celebrity no. follows, <laughs> Sly, Jonathan Davis, and then The Rock, who we mentioned, but The Rock is just like visiting sick children in hospitals and singing songs for the Moana soundtrack and making me cry. So, like, oh, fuck, fuck yeah. That's just well, that's, a good, that's a good rainbow of follows. You get everything there from funny to, to, to like heartfelt to like whatever Sly is doing. I don't know, but I love it. Yeah, bless his, bless Dwayne's heart. Bless his big meaty heart. Mm-hmm. Okay. This has been another deep dive into Midnight Movie Madness. Big thanks to Charlotte Blythe for our intro music. Our outro music today is appropriately provided by the band Night Slug. This is a deep cut. Uh, 
I discovered this band because I was in another band years ago that played with them in Germany. And I don't know if they're around anymore, but if somehow they get wind of us playing them on this episode, I just want to say you guys were great. And here's my little shout out to you. So hopefully you're still rocking somewhere in Germany. if you want to get in touch and you have any questions, feel free to drop us a line at midnightflixpod at gmail.com. That's F-L-I-X. Or hit us up on Instagram at midnightflixpod. And for Patrick Mitchell, this is Adam Walker. And we're going to see you next time in, in the, uh, the arena, the arm wrestling arena. What, what would be the the correct terminology for arm and arm wrestling events um, like sawdust laden floor with a beer soaked tabletop <laughs> I don't know what the fuck you call that we'll get to pumping we'll and flexing gripping and ripping next week see you next time folks